Welcome to the College Football Connection, your taste of all the college football action going on this week. We love the Ohio State Buckeyes. We hate that team up north, and we've got way too much to say. We're joined by the one and only Zach Smith, also known as Menace to Sports, to give us the behind the scenes and some expert insights on the action. Zach, great to have you. Let's get this thing going. I'm excited to be here. What a weekend of college football, huh? Yeah, Bro, I mean... Is- we we let's get right into it because we don't we don't have to spend the first twenty minutes talking about uh, the phantom game that Ohio State played this weekend. <laughs> let's 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 talk about the real uh, game of the weekend. Which you know, if you've been listening to our podcast, you've been listening to Zach on his podcast. He has been touting Tennessee as potentially the real deal. They proved it this weekend in a. Big 12 type shootout. There was no defense being played in this game, but uh, <laughs> Tennessee pulled it out in the end, 52 49, solidifying Hendon Hooker as the number one front runner for the Heisman Trophy now. Um, pretty amazing, amazing game. I heard some fans took the goalposts out of the stadium and dropped it in the lake outside of, uh, outside of the stadium. Um, just a crazy, crazy scene. Tennessee football is officially back. Just a great story to see. Um, and you know, ESPN didn't make sure Alabama didn't drop too far down the rankings. They're still in position to make the top four at number six. So no harm done here. But the story really here seems to be about Tennessee uh, in this game, Zach. Yeah, it was, I mean, we're just a massive, massive win for, for Tennessee and Hendon Hooker. I thought it was really cool. I didn't realize this until after the game as they ripped the goalposts down and they took them out in the streets of Knoxville and were parading it. I was like, this is the wildest <laughs> shit I've ever seen in college football. And they dumped it in the river. And then they talked about yeah. the fact that the only other time that's happened was in 93, I think, when they beat Bama. They did the same thing. So there's two goalposts at the bottom of that river now. now they could play a game down there (laughs) right right. the fish are playing a game (laughs) when when you saw this game yeah obviously you have some tennessee loyalty you've been you've been calling them all season how did it feel to get the call right and like there were a lot of moments of doubt for me as i was watching this like what did you think through the whole game how did it how did it go for you it, it kind of confirmed everything I saw on film, right? That that Alabama was suspect in the secondary, and and no one was talking about it. I mean, I, I had there was college football, major college football shows that was talking about this Alabama secondary might be the best secondary that that has ever been constructed with six or seven future NFL starters. And I'm watching the film, like, huh, where, where? But you know, <laughs> like sports media, they do that. And I, I knew, I mean, that was the number one reason why I didn't wasn't just like parading around saying Tennessee's going to win is because I knew their pass defense wasn't great. And that was exposed too. And Bryce Young, the un- unfortunate thing is Bryce Young is going to be, you know, viewed as a loser, right? He lost this big game, but he played unreal as, as, as good as Hendon Hooker. He just, he had a bunch of receivers and even his running back, his star running back that were dropping balls on him in critical moments. I mean, they had four drops 
every analytic he had was outstanding. I mean, he hit almost 70% of his deep balls, 80% of his intermediate throws. Like he just, he was on it. Yeah. He didn't, he didn't look hurt at all, to be honest. Like he looked, he looked really good. He did. Like it it was like his third or fourth throw in the game and you went, oh shit, no, he's good. (laughs) Like he's fine. He's good to go. But yeah, the, the Alabama secondary I, was suspect, and I thought the the storyline that doesn't get talked about enough now after this game is kind of the offensive clinic that Josh Heupel put on and the way he aligned receivers and stacks and motion guys to get mismatches, and he really, he outcoached Nick Saban. I mean, he he took Nick Saban's secondary and put him in a, in a blender. He really did, and it was it was outstanding how he contained Will Anderson Jr., the probably the best pass rusher in the country. He had one quarterback pressure, and that one quarterback pressure led to the only interception Hendon Hooker threw. So I think Josh Heupel gets a ton of credit, and Hendon Hooker, man, and that is freshman, this receiver, Jalen Hyatt's five touchdowns on six catches. Yeah, that's who I wanted to ask. They they posted that next to remember the old Randy Moss stat line where he had like three catches for like, they posted that next to Hyatt's uh, stat line, and it just looked like, I wanted to really ask you about this. How much of this was this guy's this kid's talent which is and how much of this was just terrible secondary play because um i don't know if this kid was on any bolitnikov watch list before the game but after the game it's it sure looks like he belongs on all of them <laughs> oh i mean the kid was unreal and, and i think you know it was it, it was a lot to do with you know his his talent i mean i on our live show after the game i'm like this kid i don't know who this kid is he's six he's got to be six foot three long arms like his catch radius is ridiculous. And as I'm talking, I pull it up. He's like six foot tall. I was like, wow, he looked like he was six four. <laughs> like he looked huge. But it, he, I mean, he's extremely explosive. But I, it's honestly not to take anything away from the kid because he was ridiculous, but it was so well schemed to get him matched up on safeties and, and get him in mismatched situations. And then Hendon Hooker just delivered. Yeah. What did you think about the uh the time of possession? Like I was surprised that Tennessee really just didn't didn't care about holding on to the ball. Like I th- I think the first seven drives were under two minutes. I mean, I they, mean they they did what I've I've I did a show in the over the summer, kind of the blueprint to beat Bama, right? And it has nothing to do with playing great defense. It really yeah. doesn't. <laughs> you have to go tempo and you have to throw the shit out of the ball on Nick Saban. That's the only way teams have beat him. And honestly, the only game he's lost where that wasn't the case was 2014 and against us because we had Zeke wow. and we actually ran the ball really effectively on them. Teams just don't do that. You really can't run it on Bama. Teams that have run it on Bama get beat by 21. So you, you, it has to be a high-scoring <laughs> game and you have to throw it on them. And that's what they did. They didn't care. Score in one play. Who cares? Yeah, and I think the thing that I really liked about what I saw from Hypo and I, and I and this misses if something's working until they stop it, just keep going to it, right? Absolutely. And Alabama could not stop the deep ball, so why would you go away from it? You know, and so I think that was really a case of that in this game. But the thing that was really more surprising than anything was the scoreline being fifty-two to forty-nine. I think it's the highest scoring ACC or Alabama game. I mean. Sorry, ACC. I'm getting confused. The talent levels are starting to get equal. So <laughs> the SEC, that this is one of the highest highest um, outputs any team has put up against Bama in history. Um, what does this kind of say about this the, the storyline here? Because it seems like the only really good defense in the SEC this year is probably Georgia. Um, maybe Ole Miss, who you brought up last week. 
what does this kind of say like when you see a score line like this about um how good these two teams actually are or is I mean, it I just think, two really good offenses yeah th- this year is is a funny year because every year in the i don't know the past 4 years you feel like you're watching a team that is a clear cut favorite to win the national championship and i don't know who that is I, I would say ohio state but they still haven't been dominantly impressive like some teams we watch joe burrow's lsu team Devonte smith and, and and alabama and and last year's georgia's defense it was wire to wire every week you're like wow that georgia defense is ridiculous there's not a team that has been like that this year and so i think this is the 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 most parody in college football we've had in in five years and so i mean like you said I don't I've ne- I've always been of the opinion especially the last 6 7 years that defense doesn't win you championships. You have to play decent defense otherwise mm-hmm. you'll lose a game, but it's all about high explosive offensive play. And last year was the caveat cuz that defense from Georgia was just that ridiculous. And so you're looking at these teams it's yeah. like all right, can Ohio State's defense give them an edge on the national landscape? Absolutely. But their their offense needs to be wildly explosive they're going to win it all that's that's been the formula to do it for seven years yeah yeah that's a that's a great point i think it's as an ohio state fan it's something that we haven't necessarily we've seen it against weaker opponents obviously but you know i want to bring our attention to the michigan game against penn state the second half you know michigan really turned it up and you know they were they were very dominant and i was i was genuinely impressed blake Corum is the real deal that was the first full game um of of his that i've really been able to watch um, was that kind of looking at that, Zach, um, you know, is Michigan a potential contender this year or is Penn state, you know, ex- like a lot weaker than we thought they were? Well, I think both, both can be true and both are true. Uh, Penn state was touted as a good rush defense. And I, I still contend going into the year, I said, Penn state has the best secondary, the best pass defense in the big 10. And that's still mm-hmm. the case, you know, down, through the, through the first seven weeks, they do have that. And I've never really bought in on their rush defense. The problem is they played Purdue. They played, you know, the the collection of teams they played are not running teams. So the, of course, I mean, they they I can't remember who their last game was. They they held someone to one yard a carry, and you're like, well, that team stinks. That we can tout that as a great rush defense. They just haven't faced a team that can really run it. Michigan Michigan exposed that, and I think Michigan is a really good run defense. And I want to put you guys onto this site that that my my co-host put me onto. It's a it's a site called Football Outsiders. And they have yeah, this cool okay. analytic model where they basically go through and throw out any garbage time, any time the twos are in, just throw it out. Those plays don't count, right? And they they antiquate yards to the offensive line based on you know how far the run is. Like it's kind of misleading, right? If you run a sweep play and Travion Henderson goes for eighty, like does that mean your offensive line did a great job because he got eighty yards? Yeah. Like they they really only got him the first five and he got the other seventy five, right? And yeah, so they, right. they credit certain uh, amounts of yards to the offensive line, and, and it's, it's really cool. And to that point, Ohio State is the number one offensive line in the country at 3.7 yards per the offensive line per carry, and Michigan's 14th. And so what I think gets lost here a lot with Blake Corum and with Michigan is they do have a great run, run game, and Penn State was not a great rushing defense. But Blake Corum has 146 rushing attempts. Mayan Williams has 64. So it's like... Yeah. Wow. He, he has over double the rushing attempts. And at this, so, so I kind of break it down. All right, what's the likelihood that a running back gets more than 10 yards when you hand him the ball, right? Blake Corum gets one 10 plus yard run in every 6.3 carries. Mayan Williams gets one in every 3.76. Wow. 
So he gets twice as many. He just doesn't get fed the ball as much. So I think this Michigan offense and the rushing attack is good, but it's not as ridiculous as everyone's making it out to be. I actually am more impressed with J.J. McCarthy than I am their run game. Look, this is the question that I have on that, right? Is just the sheer number of rushing attempts and what you were just saying in the previous segment. What I haven't seen from Michigan is, is that going to work? When you play in Ohio State, right. when you play a com- competition that's real, like Penn State was ranked that highly, but I think we all had our doubts on how good they really were and how good they really ever are. They have the talent. It's just they're, they, n- they never play well in big games like this um, in recent memory, especially against you know a, a strong run team. But if, if you are forced to put the ball in J.J. McCarthy's hands and the receivers and a team is able to shut down the run, is Michigan still a good offense? Because it seems like they're zigging while everyone else is zagging and yeah. just taking advantage of weak competition up until this point. They haven't played anyone of note um, yet. Yeah, and, and, and yeah. In truth be told, pretty much at no one in the Big Ten has. And, and I've said it all preseason yeah. and all year, neither team is going to play anyone until they play each other. I, don't think the, I think the Big Ten's awful. So Ohio State is not going to yeah. play anybody all year until they play Michigan, and and the same can be said about Michigan. But you look at J.J. McCarthy, and there's one thing he ha- isn't doing as well as he needs to, and that's hitting shot plays, right? He's, yeah. he's actually, I thought this was an interesting stat, he's thrown the, the fourth least deep balls of any quarterback in the Big Ten. He's only thrown 20, but what I thought was more interesting is C.J. Stroud has thrown the fifth least. He's only thrown 21 deep balls. Now, yeah. hmm. Where J.J. McCarthy is struggling, he only completes 35% of them, where C.J. Stroud completes 52% of them. So C.J. hits him <laughs> more often. Yeah. But outside of deep balls, J.J. McCarthy's been the best quarterback in the Big Ten. He has, he has the highest completion percentage, highest adjusted completion percentage. He's the number one quarterback on intermediate throws, short throws. He's the best quarterback under pressure, the best quarterback versus blitz. So I, I don't know yet, but... All evidence we have on film is if they are forced to throw it, this kid might be pretty good. It seems yeah. simple. It's the thing that I, I want to ask. It seems so simple. The formula is so simple, right? If you run the ball really well, it'll become easier to pass. You know, yeah. these stats are great that you're pointing out about JJ McCarthy, but this is truly a result of how much defenses fear the run game. If there's a real threat there, it makes it easier to pass, right? Oh, there de- definitely is. That's, that's the whole. That's the reason why Mike Leach can't win a championship, right? You have to be a balanced attack. And, and if you have a dynamic run game like Ohio State has right now, too, I mean, it, it's just yeah. going to open up the world and play action pass and even drop back pass on rundowns. Like all of that changes defensive calls because they have to stop the run. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, one other thing um, I wanted to call out about that game is that Michigan did a lot of things great teams don't do. There were a lot of simple mistakes that they got bailed out on from the fact that they were playing Penn State. And the one that stands out to me is that, like, you, you probably remember this one, Zach. J.J. McCarthy kind of running out the pocket, getting hit, lobs it up into, into the air for, like, a definitely should have been an interception. Somehow completes the pass. Even Harbaugh was pissed about that oh, yeah. throw. Oh, yeah. You know, there, there were definite, like, gaps in terms of you know the consistency and being able to hold a certain level of play and i think that's where michigan has always faltered as a team is like they have their their flashes from time to time with good recruits good athletes but you know they've they've never really been able to pull it together as a program and, and succeed at the highest level and i think um you know i, I would like to kind of point the question back toward tennessee 
does Tennessee have what it takes to be able to compete at that level for the rest of the season? Or do you think that this was a blip for them? Well, I mean, I, they're going to have to improve on in their pass defense. They are. Now, I mean, Bryce Young's one of the best college football players in the country. So you knew he was going to get his in some form or fashion, but they got scorched. I mean, 49 points and the way they got beat, or not beat, but beat through the air, um, is going to have to get addressed. And I know they had some guys out with injury, but we can use that excuse for a number of teams a number of different times. But you look at their schedule, they got UT Martin this weekend, which is, you know, that'll be a nice bye week for them. And then they have Kentucky at home on Halloween and then at Georgia November 5th. That's two massive back-to-back games. You wish, I mean, I know they wish they could spread it out because they have Missouri, South Carolina, and Vanderbilt to finish the season. You'd love to mix, sprinkle them in between Kentucky and Georgia. I think it's going to be hard for them to win both of those games. And I think Kentucky at home is a trap game because Kentucky's lost a couple games. They're still a potent passing attack. Will Levis is still a good quarterback. That's the one that scares me because they're looking past Kentucky at the huge matchup with Georgia. And Kentucky's kind of built to beat Tennessee. Yep. Yep. And it's, uh, it's, I, we all want to see somebody new show up out of the SEC. Um, is there, this is a crazy thought. Um, what, ha, is there any chance that we see Georgia, Tennessee, and Alabama in the final four, uh, this year with just how the rest of the conferences are stacking up? USC is out. We'll talk about that in a second, but USC is out as a contender. The Big 12, I mean, maybe TCU, but I don't think they're going to put a TCU in over a one-loss SEC team. Yeah, I, it's going to be tough. I mean, you have UCLA on the West Coast. If they finish undefeated and beat USC, you you have to think they're going to put them in. TCU, I don't think TCU ends the year undefeated. I don't think I think Texas will beat them in November. But yeah. if they did finish undefeated, I mean, beating Okie State, you know, beating Texas, beating you know running through those teams the way they have, I think they would get in. And then Clemson's the other one out there that they, yeah. I mean, they have a huge matchup with Syracuse this weekend, which apparently that's a huge matchup. Never in the history has that been a huge matchup. <laughs> but here's Syracuse <laughs> undefeated. Donovan McNabb and Marvin Harrison yeah, like running I'm, around. Right. I'm sitting here like, is Dwight Freeney back? What's going on? <laughs> it's just wild. So uh, if Clemson remains unbeaten, they certainly have the history and, and, and notoriety that they'll get in over a one-loss SEC team. but. I think all three of those teams could lose. And if that happens, then it's just the wild, wild west. You know one Big Ten team's getting in, Ohio State or Michigan. And then the conversation becomes whoever loses that game, Ohio State, Michigan, and the, the potential one-loss slew of SEC teams, right? Like if Tennessee loses to Georgia, that then they don't get afforded the chance to go to Atlanta. They're a one-loss team that beat Alabama. You'd like to, you'd yep. probably think they're getting in. If, if, if Georgia yep. then goes and loses to Alabama... It's- now you got three yeah. one-loss teams that all beat each other. Like who gets in? Yeah, that that game you're calling out the Tennessee Georgia is really the one I want to see because with Georgia's defense, I really want to see what this Tennessee offense can do. And to your point, if Tennessee can elevate what they're doing from a defensive standpoint, they should be able to actually be a very good match for Georgia. They should be able to get an edge if their defense is able to, you know, be passable. Well, and that's the thing. Yeah. Right? This- Georgia has Go ahead. They, they're they're built they're well, way more equipped to you know shut down Georgia's offense than they were Alabama's because Georgia's mm-hmm. offense is their run game's big their tight end group is their their focal point their receivers are just average and so I think Tennessee if they get healthy they match up really well with Georgia they really do and I think Georgia's defense is probably the def- best defense they're going to play but Hendon Hooker looks like the real deal and 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 his slew of wideouts yeah. and the best part is. 
their best wideout didn't even play. Cedric Tillman is their wide receiver one. He didn't even play against Alabama. Yeah. That's crazy. That's yeah, so and, crazy. and the, the stat, you know, <laughs> and in Herker, the thing that he does better than any other player is he protects the football. He doesn't turn the ball over. He there really was an does. interception, but I saw, I saw a stat in the game that he had the third longest streak in, in, uh, in history for a pass without an interception. Um, I think it was, he was sitting at like almost 300 passes before he yep. threw that, threw that interception. So that really stands out. And then you see the power of the transfer portal with a player like him, right? This is a guy who was at Virginia Tech. Um, and, but got afforded the opportunity with the right coach, right talent around him. Um, and his play is elevated. It reminds me a lot of what happened with Joe Burrow. Um, yeah. When he when he missed out on the opportunity to transfer to LSU, and rode that wave to become the number one pick in the in the draft, you're seeing that potential with this kid because when I watch him play, I see a disciplined, mature quarterback, not just a guy who's a freak athlete running around. He's he's really, really playing great, great as a quarterback, all around quarterback. He is. He is, and you. I think the big thing that, that goes untalked about in that game specifically is how well Josh Heupel protected him. Because mm-hmm. Alabama has Will Anderson and Dallas Turner, two of the top pass rushers in college football, and they neutralized yep. Will Anderson. He had one pressure that led to that interception, and Dallas Turner had a good day, and you assumed he would because they put so much attention on Will Anderson in pass pro. But when Hendon Hooker was kept clean, there was not, not pressure, he completed 83% of his passes and all five touchdowns. On, on the yeah, minimal snaps, crazy. he was pressured. He only completed 33%, and that's when he threw the one pick and didn't throw a touchdown. So if they can protect this kid, he's really good. It's, 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 yeah. The, the two-point conversion, two conversion they did oh, just yeah. absolutely blew my mind, dude. Yeah. That, in that instant, I was just like, I think Tennessee's got this. Yep. Yeah. Crazy. Yep. What, what, what happened here? And I want <laughs> let's, to let's move to, to these games that we don't necessarily care about, but that could be important. <laughs> the first one being TCU, Oklahoma State. Um, it was interesting to me. I watched the first half of their game, and if it really looked like Oklahoma State had control of that game, where it's controlling TCU's offense, then I look back up and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in the midst of the Alabama Tennessee bloodbath, and I look down at the score. And I see that it's tied and going to overtime. So what happened in this game? How did Oklahoma State lose control of it? And how did TCU end up coming out on top here? Well, I mean, I think, I think it was an evenly matched game. You had two really good football teams. I don't think either two are nationally elite. But, I mean, Oklahoma State yep. controlled the game well. They, they were playing great defense. And TCU just has so much speed. And, and, and they're such an explosive team that eventually they made adjustments and they found a way to start moving the ball on Oklahoma State's defense. And I mean, don't forget that this Oklahoma State defense is essentially the, the stepchild of Jim Knowles, right? It is, it is yeah. a well-coached, well-executed defense. And so I, I picked TCU to win and I, I looked like I was wrong the whole game. <laughs> Until toward, until really the late in the second half. Trust me, I was gonna I was gonna tell you about it. If uh, <laughs> I'm sure you were, <laughs> I told you defense wins championship. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's just it, it was it was a good it was a great football game, and I think those two teams are very evenly matched. Obviously, they went to overtime, so I'm not that's not anything like earth shattering. But it was a good football game, and TCU just found a way to make adjustments late in the game to to pull it out. And I think we got all of our picks right. We were horrendously wrong on the score totals, but we got the winners at least. 
That's yeah, I, I did pick Oklahoma. I did pick Oklahoma State in this matchup. So I was well. My we was uh, just me and Zach. yeah. I, oh, okay. <laughs> the okay. the guys who usually get the, the Dublin, right. the Dublin, yeah. the Dublin kids. <laughs> right. I mean, when you guys get something right, you would definitely deserve cookies for it. <laughs> <laughs> so also, we got to go to USC Utah, which you alluded to earlier. V. This game, I actually got to watch. I went yeah, out I to too. a bar uh, and I got to watch it. And I love seeing USC fans get disappointed. So it was really satisfying. Uh, but man, like what a tight freaking game all the way down to the last second. And I like I genuinely, genuinely thought Utah played their hearts out. I think that's that's kind of where this where this came from, you know, from from my view. I, I didn't think this was like a talent type of game. I thought it was just like a willpower type of win. It definitely was. And you, you look out there and, and I'll preface this with I don't know his religious, you know, practice. But Cam Rising is like the Mormon Tim Tebow. He really is. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's he went so out there. Good. Oh my gosh! And he's not a good quarterback. Like he has four of eleven no. on passes over ten yards. Like he's he's not yeah. a great passer, but he just moves the ball. I mean, five total touchdowns, three of them on the ground rushing. Um, he was a leading rusher. He threw for four hundred fifteen yards. Like he's just a dude. He's just a baller in college. Like he will, probably won't play in the NFL, yeah. but just a baller that you like watching. Yeah, and the, the the guy that stood out to me was the the tight end. This kid yeah. looks like a freaking the second coming of, of 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 every great tight end that's ever existed. They call him the Mini Mark Bavaro, but man, this kid was catching everything like he was going down, like in pain, getting back up. It was like a scene out of Gladiator the whole game just watching. I think he had like 17 catches. How good is this tight end? Thirty-four yards. He was just eaten. How good is this tight end from Utah? Because he had hype coming into the season, but I watched that game. I was like, this guy is a man. <laughs> he, he's definitely a mismatch problem, and USC struggled with him. But I mean, you you watch USC, and I, I, I tried to buy into the hype. Their, their defense was putting up good analytics early on, but it's just Lincoln Riley traditionally doesn't have a great defense, and Pac-12. Anyone in the Pac-12 usually has a, has a poor defense, but you you can't miss 18 tackles against Utah. You just can't. And they missed 18 tackles. And then and I watched Caleb Williams, and he he's a really good player. Don't get me wrong, but I think he's more of a systematic player. He's more of a yeah. Lincoln Riley systems just that good because you really look at it, and Lincoln's so successful because of his RPOs in the run game and his play action protections are so cool because they look so similar to the run plays that they get guys to trigger hard and. When you break down the analytics, Caleb Williams on what I call Lincoln's offense plays, where it's like crazy play actions or great RPOs, he was 17 of 22, 77% completed completion yeah. and all four touchdowns. When it's a pure drop back pass where he just has to drop back and throw it, he was 8 of 20 for 160 yards and one touchdown, 40% completion. So he, his production doubles when it's a Lincoln Riley cute play and his production's far lower when it's just like, hey, let's go play quarterback and be really great. So I think he's a yeah, good player, yeah. but I don't think he's all that they hype up hype him up to be. And, and I want to bridge this is a perfect bridge because I wanted to ask you this a connection to the NFL, right? Um, we're ta- you were talking about the Lincoln Riley offense. We're seeing Baker Mayfield and um, and K- Kyler Murray struggle um, at the NFL level. I'm just very curious about these like kind of offenses. Why they work so well in college, but they don't ever translate to the NFL because whatever raid, I don't know what they call Cliff Kingsbury's raid, but if you watch NFLs on Sundays and you watch the Arizona team play, they're putting up 19 points per game. 
Kyler doesn't look look good. It just doesn't seem like it works. What is the what is kind of the reason um, that these 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 college high level offenses don't translate to the NFL? I think a lot of times it's system fit. I mean, for for Kyler Murray to go from Lincoln Riley's like RPO heavy play action offense into the air raid where he's going to be running Mike Leach's offense, it's just not a fit. I never yeah. saw the fit. I know Cliff loved Kyler's arm and his athletic ability. So he took him, but it just wasn't a fit. And you look at Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts has a perfect fit in, in Philly and what he's doing offensively, yeah. and it's translating. I think a lot of times it's, it's it's no different than business, right? People just think their way yeah. is smart, and they can grab some personnel person and put them in and get them to do it their way, and it's going to work. Like you, yeah, it's it, it, it's it's just not a fit. Baker's running this this you know hard hard running you know heavy rush attack in Cleveland, and then yeah. and then hard play action on these deep balls. And that's just not Baker Mayfield. And obviously he's Baker's a whole different argument because he's failed now at, in Carolina too. But, yeah. but I think it's, it's mostly system fit. Like you can't draft Tim Tebow and make him into Tom Brady. Like that's stupid, right? If, if Lamar Jackson yeah. was running Cliff Kingsbury's offense right now, he'd be awful, but he's not because yeah, yeah. he's in a system that will feature his strengths and kind of limit his weaknesses. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what the Patriots do. Like you see this kid Bailey Zapp come yeah. in and and perform. It's like you adjust to the personnel you have. And now Absolutely. it looks like they have a QB controversy in New England <laughs> just based on putting a kid in position to to succeed versus putting him in a position to fail. Yeah, and I I got a comment on Kyler too. I mean, he is he is a top 10 quarterback in the NFL from a QBR pers- perspective. So it's not necessarily like he didn't translate. I just don't think Arizona is that good of a team. Yeah, it's not his fault. Like, it's not the the issue there is not the talent of Kyler Murray. It's the offense that they run. It just doesn't work. I mean, Kingsbury didn't work in college for Kingsbury. Right. If you look at his his record, so <laughs> that's a real head scratcher there. That higher. It is. <laughs> I, I had a question though about this. I do you ever feel like Bill Belichick? Is has, is like broken hearted with Tom Brady leaving, and you know when a guy gets his heart broken, every girl after that looks just like her, like blonde and skinny or whatever it is. It's like every quarterback he keeps bringing in is like a Tom Brady pretty boy. I feel like they have a questionnaire like, "Are you dating a supermodel? Yes or no? If it's yes, you have a shot." <laughs> <laughs> it, I mean, it, it could be. I think I think they have such a unique like methodology there i'm sure belichick is very much about his cultural fit too right but i agree with you like you see tom brady at the buccaneers probably wishing he hadn't left new england right now probably wishing he hadn't hadn't come back to be honest with you know the the types of issues they're having like every clip every highlight i see is him reaming out you know this weekend the clip was him reaming out his offensive line like it's got to be tough like you know making the choice you know against your family's wishes losing your marriage going through all that and then coming to the NFL and then literally like not being close to what you thought you were going to be. And skipping Saturday morning meetings uh, to go to uh, your former owner's uh, wedding and then being mad at your offensive line for not being in sync with you. That just doesn't seem like a Michigan. seems like the Michigan is coming back out of, uh, out of Tom Brady. (laughs) I don't know if you guys saw the voiceover dub they had, but when he was yelling at the offensive line, somebody voiced it over. It was hilarious. He was just yelling at him like, I didn't leave my wife and kids for this shit. (laughs) (laughs) that's that's i mean that's so on point though like i think there's certain pairs that you see from when you see coaching quarterbacks and just certain certain schematics that they only work 
because of that existing system. And I think when people people want to do it on their own for some reason, you know, you usually see them struggle a lot because they don't realize how much help they had. That's such a spot on point because I think there was like recency bias because, you know, the great debate was, is it Belichick or is it Brady? Brady went to like a Taylor Fitz situation in Tampa um, where all they needed to do was stop turning the ball over to, to be a good offense. And <laughs> he does that very well. He got the Super Bowl. Everybody was riding. Oh, it was all it was Brady the whole time. But you silently see what Bill Belichick's doing. A team that's not expected to be good loses their top quarterback and is just destroying weak coaches like we have in Cleveland by just out-scheming them and taking away what they want to do. You saw it. The difference between great coaches and average to subpar coaching the last two weeks, the way that they completely shut down the Detroit high-powered offense and then followed it up by shutting down Cleveland, it's like, I don't know about that that Brady is great. He's the greatest quarterback of all time. But there's something to me about guys who who win when they're not expected to win, when it's not a great situation. And Belichick does that consistently with or without Brady. He's done it with Matt Castle. He's done it with uh, with Bailey Zapp. You know, it's just I'm in the I'm in the camp of like this. Belichick is the greatest coach of all time by far at the NFL level. <laughs> I mean, there's no yeah, doubt think, about that. I don't know. I don't think you can dispute it. Yeah, no, I don't think so either. So, uh, you know, kind of bringing it back to uh, to this coming week, um, you know, we have a, a relatively quiet week. We're playing um, Iowa. There's a good matchup with uh, Clemson and Syracuse, which hopefully we'll see Clemson <laughs> finally freaking choke. And then uh, Texas, Oklahoma State. Um, and then finally, UCLA, Oregon, which is going to be a fantastic game. Um, but maybe let's start with Ohio State, Iowa. This is not the Iowa team we played, you know, a year or two ago. It's a very different Iowa team. What are we looking for in this game, Zach? Well, I mean, it, you're, there's going to be some fun parts. This defense should absolutely just clobber this. The Iowa offense is probably the worst offense in college football. And, <laughs> you know, Brian Ferentz is, is the offensive coordinator. He's the son of the head coach. And it's just, it's a clown show. It's, it's honestly fun to watch because it's so bad. Um, so I, I think that's one thing that's going to be, I guess, fun to watch. But the other side of this is Iowa's really, really good defensively. They come in with the second best defense in the, in the Big Ten, only allowing 3.7 yards per play. And so you're going to learn something. I, I think Ohio State, I don't think Iowa will even score on Ohio State. So I think Ohio State wins regardless. But this Iowa team, this Iowa defense is going to at least challenge Ohio State. They have the best pass defense. In the in the in the Big Twelve, you know, to date with the schedule they've had, they only allow four point seven yards per attempt, which is just an insanely low number. And and I'm going to be interested to see how this offense does. I mean, they come in with a top five rush defense, the number one pass defense, the number one overall defense. C.J. Stroud and the offense will be at least tested. Now, will they pass the test with flying colors? They certainly are talented enough to do so. So it's it's not an intriguing game when it comes to outcome because they just they're just so bad on offense, but. In all these games, you can always look at something and say, okay, we might learn something, though. Even if they win 35 nothing, we might learn something in this game. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. I think it'll be interesting to see how the offense adapts. We saw the improvement a little bit that we we're looking for from the receiver core. And uh, the other question is, when do you think they'll start ramping up Jackson Smith and Jigba? 
is whenever he's healthy. I mean, he's coming off a bye week. If if he doesn't play in this game, I think there's a lot of concern that he that he does that he plays this year at all. Um, wow. Because hamstrings, those hamstrings can become chronic. I, I had I had a kid, James Clark, who pulled a hamstring early in training camp, and then you know got to about week three, week four. It looked like he was going to come back, tweaked it again, was out for another four or five weeks, and then all of a sudden you get to the end of the year, you're like, damn, he just lost a whole year yeah. on a pulled hamstring. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and also there's going to be caution exercised in this scenario by him. Um, rightfully so. He doesn't want to aggravate or make the injury worse, especially when the team is winning as handily as they are winning. Um, I do I do see a comeback at some point at the midpoint or later in the season, um, if, especially if we're in playoff contention. I think um, we're going to see him show up for the Michigan game, but... I mean, there is an argument to be made that it's better to rest him and make sure he's he- fully healthy while we're in the soft part of the schedule to ramp up for the tougher part of the schedule um, later on in the season. Um, and the other thing that's interesting always about Iowa is regardless of how bad their offensive line offense is, their offensive line is going to test your defensive line. And I think that that's going to be really good for our defense is to go up against um, a well-coached, um, disciplined offensive line to see how we match up both in, in terms of the type of pressure we create as well as um, how we win at the point uh, at the line of scrimmage. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt. And I think the craziest part about this Iowa team is that in years past, I mean, they've never been dynamic throwing the ball ever. I don't think one time yeah. in the history of football has Iowa yeah. been a good passing team. They've always been a solid defense and they have those big linemen that can run the ball well. But what's different this year is their offensive line coach and coordinator, Brian Ferentz, really has his guys playing well. They're dead last in the Big Ten in rushing the ball. They averaged two and a half yards a carry at Iowa. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what, what are we doing? Yeah. Uh, maybe the nepotism, nepotism uh, might have been a little early. That's a pretty surprising move by Kirk Ferentz, too, to give. As did he make his son like earn his way up to this position, or did it was it like a rapid I mean, rise? I kind of. He 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 sent him off to uh, to Bill Belichick. I think he was like an intern for the Patriots, and then like was a a tight end coach, and then he instantly brought him back. It was basically like, oh, well, he's he coached for the Patriots. He's good, and he was the O line <laughs> coach for for you know six seven years before he made him the OC. But it's is very clear. Like, all right. I'm going to send you to Bill. He's going to teach you some football. Come back, and I'll eventually make you the coordinator. And it's just been an epic failure. It seems Dang. like very similar to the situation we had with Kerry Coombs, which is a really solid position position and special teams coach put in a situation he probably shouldn't be in. And if he was being honest with himself, probably wouldn't have preferred, right, once he saw what it was all, all was involved with it. Um, it seems like a very similar situation over there in Iowa. Yeah, for sure. So a uh, couple other matchups um, to think about. UCLA and Oregon, this seems like it could go either way to me. Uh, do you have a sense of, of this one, Zach or V? Well, I, I, I love UCLA. I, I think D- D- uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson is one of the best quarterbacks in the country. I mean, he, he is playing so well. Chip yeah. Kelly has been playing so well. I think UCLA is better on defense than they have been. I know Oregon's a six-point favorite, mainly because they're in Autzen Stadium at home. But I, I think UCLA pulls it off. I, I'm I'm buying stock in UCLA right now. Yeah, I agree with that sentiment. I've watched two of their games, and I don't know what to make of the competition. But you see, as as Zach pointed out, what you see is a well coached team, a, a disciplined team, and a, and a very solid team on both sides of the ball. That's that's what you see 
Um, and then also I do think uh, Chip Kelly has an axe to grind over there. Oh yeah, <laughs> with Oregon. So I think uh, I think uh, I-, I see UCLA pulling this game out with these. I don't think Oregon is very good personally. So we'll see. We'll see how that one plays out. I think I'm gonna also side UCLA just because uh, I have some family that goes there. So gotta gotta support the home team. Uh, <laughs> Tell them but, to go yeah. to the game. Be the one who in Oregon. No, no, go to the next home game. Oh, but yeah. really show some pride by actually going to the game. Actually in Oregon. show up. Yeah, yeah, he went to the last one actually. So oh, that's good. Shout out. Um, Texas Oklahoma State. This is a very very interesting one because oklahoma state has you know had had a a tough one last week texas shows up sometimes it's kind of a weird weird thing with them um i i kind of think oklahoma state probably has this one handled but i I like quinn ewers a lot i feel like they could pull something out if they need to i just don't know if the intensity will be there I mean, this 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 is the game they need, right? To try to make it to the Big Twelve Championship, they have to beat Oklahoma State. It's in Stillwater, which is not going to be easy. But as good as I think Oklahoma State's defense can be, I think Texas is going to win the game. I do. I I believe in Quinn Ewers. They have one of the best running backs in the country in Bajan Robinson. And I mean, I think this this offense gets back on track. I think they really, you know, they blow out Oklahoma forty nine nothing. They start feeling themselves. They see the name Iowa State on the schedule, and so they play down to competition and win twenty four to twenty. I think they bounce back and Sark's in their ass all week and, and they have a hard week of practice and I think they, they bounce back and get this win. I have a, I have a question about, the, about whether this actually happens. You hear this in, in media all the time, right? When you have a sandwich game between two big games like Iowa State, um, do you take some things out of the playbook because you know you're playing a better defense the following week because you know you can beat this team without necessarily... Um, showing it all or is is do most good programs they just say we're gonna we're gonna do our best in every game because that looked like a completely different texas team last week than the week before yeah i I think a lot of times it's just the style of defense you're playing because once you get about week six week seven everything you're gonna do is out there i mean you've already run it all it's all on film there's there's no reason to really hold it back at that point and all you're trying to do is attack a defensive scheme and so Certain schemes can pr- provide different problems, right? It's no different than we talk about Alabama, Georgia, like, and how they match up against Tennessee's defense. Like, Georgia might lose to Alabama or beat Alabama. That's a totally different conversation than how yeah. does Georgia's offense match up against that defense comparatively to Alabama's, you know, because it's, it's just different strengths and different weaknesses. So, yeah. at this point in the season, everything you're going to do is on film. You might have a wrinkle here or there that you, throw, you put in, but for the most yeah. part, 90% of your stuff is already in and, and on tape. I love that. Um, final final game, Clemson Syracuse. Clemson has been scraping by all freaking season. They needed to be upset by now, and they have not been. Is this the week, guys? I just can't buy into <laughs> Syracuse. I mean, <laughs> I, here's the reality. I I think that. I mean, obviously, it's a potential upset game. I don't think it happens. I mean, it's in it's in Clemson, South Carolina, so that's that's the number one reason why I don't think Syracuse is built to go on the road and beat Clemson. But I and I think Clemson has a loss on their schedule somewhere. I just don't know who it is. I I, I thought initially maybe Notre Dame at Notre Dame, but good God, they lose to Stanford, a, a, who hadn't beat a Power Five team yet this year. And it's like, man, maybe yeah. it's not Notre Dame. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I think I think Syracuse's best shot in this game is the fact that their uniforms are in similar in color, and you hope you hope that that the QB over at Clemson gets confused. I think that's. Their, I mean, I see this record as being six and zero, and I actually tried to watch a few minutes of Syracuse's uh, film and game, and I. I I don't, I don't see it. They're six and zero, but I think that has more to do with schedule than, than how good they actually are. But you know, you know, maybe maybe they pull off this miracle upset and show us, show us that Syracuse football is back. <laughs> if if they don't, and Clemson goes through the rest of the season undefeated, have they really earned a spot in the in the playoff? I, mean, I think if you go through a full, if you're, you're in a Power Five conference and you win every game you play, you absolutely deserve it. It's really hard to do, even in a bad conference, just to yeah. get your team up to play every week and win every week. We've seen it with Ohio State, right? There'd be a random Iowa game. You're like, what? What just happened? <laughs> like, it's hard to do. So they earn it and, and they'll probably, and you know, then it's about validation. Can you really do it against the top four teams in the country? But I, I, an undefeated team out of the ACC, any of these conferences, I think deserves in the playoffs. Yeah, and the ACC specifically, I think gets a bad rap. They get looped in with like the Big 12 and the Pac 12. Um, mainly because they don't necessarily have elite programs, but you look up and down, like you go down to a Boston college, you go to, you know, the random Syracuse that pops up, Virginia Tech, Miami, like these are schools that are pretty good. You know, they're not, they're not necessarily elite level college play programs, but to win in the ACC and win out your whole schedule is a tough challenge still. It is, and it's it's hard Fair to evaluate enough. these teams this early because, you know, by the end of the year, there's at least some consistency, right? Like, you don't know if the schedule's back-loaded, front-loaded. I mean, this team's 4-2, and two, this team's 6-0. and oh. I mean, you look at it, there's five teams in the country that have not faced a currently ranked team. North Carolina's one si- sitting at 6-1. and one. Illinois is like the, the Cinderella of the Big Ten West, but they haven't played a ranked team. Nebraska, Cal, and Ohio State. Ohio State, on their schedule, haven't played a team that is currently ranked. And it's like, what does that mean? I don't know. We'll see at the end of the year where these teams actually fall because it's tough to say, oh, Ohio State played a top five team. Well, Notre Dame stinks. We know that now. So we can't, we can't take credit yeah. for that. <laughs> yeah, We I can mean, take it, credit for making them stink. It, <laughs> That's true. It, it, That's pretty, true. It, pretty, it pretty much looks like the good thing, the, the silver lining for Ohio State is this, is that with Michigan becoming more relevant, it really looks like that Michigan-Ohio State game is going to determine who gets in. And if it's a close game, they're, you know, the challenge that Michigan has is their schedule is pretty soft. Um, and I don't think a one loss Big Ten team can get in still, but that does create a compelling case is if, if both of these teams go in undefeated and both, you know, top five teams, um, what do you do with a one loss Michigan? You know what I mean? I think it all comes down That's to how they lost all. the game. Yeah. Like, like, do they lose by, like, if they lose how Alabama lost in that game, they're a notch above, let's say, a Georgia team that loses by 10 to Tennessee. I mean, I think it, it matters how the game goes more so than, you know, than winning and losing sometimes. Yeah. yeah. I got to say, it's, it's refreshing this year to see some names in the top 15, top 20 that you just don't usually see in that list. It's kind of nice. Absolutely. Parity is is coming into college football by NIL by way of NIL and the transfer portal. <laughs> yeah, no sir. And we'll 
And I guess on that note, that brings us to to the end of this episode. Uh, thanks everybody for tuning in. Thanks Zach for joining us as usual. This was this was great to pick your brain and get get the insights on all the action. And uh, do we want to do some score predictions for Iowa before we close out? I'm down. All right, Zach, you got it first. I, I'm going to go 35 nothing. I don't think they can score a point on this defense. The only way I see them scoring is if if Ohio State gets to their threes. I think Ohio State's twos can shut down this offense too. So I don't think they score. I think Ohio State will have some struggles in the run game and, and struggles moving the ball, you know, to an extent. But I trust <clears throat> trust Ryan to make adjustments. I, I believe in the talent that is C.J. Stroud and the receivers they have and the backfield. So I think they get it figured out and, and score, you know, 32, 35 points. And I, I think it's a, a nice, easy, casual win. <laughs> v? Yeah, I agree with that, with that sentiment. I have one more touchdown being scored on both sides. So I have 42-7 because I just, it's really hard in college football to just really stop a team from scoring, especially if we're up big and the twos and the threes get in there. So I think Iowa scores somehow. Um, but it's not it's not going to be a score that makes us feel like they're they're any sort of threat. Yeah, I'm going to go 55 14 for the same reason, but I'm spotting an extra seven to Iowa because we have we always have that first first freaking drive of every game where we do something stupid and give up a huge play and they immediately score on us. So I'm assuming <laughs> they'll probably take the first kick back or something stupid <laughs> like that. <laughs> Uh, pump black something 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 that should throw us off but doesn't yeah exactly well on that note uh, thanks thanks zach for joining us this is a great episode we'll see you next week definitely thanks for having me